Blog Talk Radio. We believe in the American way, and we built this country called the USA, and we fly our flag because we're proud and free, we're Americans. Red, white, and blue is our way of life. Never back down from a challenge or a fight. Nature provides, God gives the rights, we're Americans. Make up America, but it's amazing America. Welcome to our Convention of States podcast, That Provident Article. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the United States Constitution, the amending provision, with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States project. My name is Paul Hodson. I am the co-director here in the great state of Texas. Each week we meet to educate ourselves on Article 5 to promote the Convention of States project and its use of Article 5 to reign in our federal government. For more information regarding the Convention of States project, I invite you to visit www.conventionofstates.com. Later in the show, if opportunity allows, our call-in number is 914-205-5632. Further contact information is available at blogtalkradio.com for that Provident article. We want to thank Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band, endorsers of the Convention of State Project, for the use of all the music here on our episodes of That Provident Article. Please visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. And a quick review as we begin our show, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution is available there in full on blogtalkradio.com on our site. We particularly look at that phrase, Convention for Proposing Amendments, as initiated by the applications of two-thirds of the state's legislatures. And we want to point out the subject matter of our application at the Convention of States Three points, impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. And good morning this Saturday morning, April 30th. We welcome you to That Provident Article. My name is Paul Hudson. I see we have at least one caller on the line. I'm going to get to Convention of States news first, though, at least before we, we take a phone call. This past week, uh, we had another exciting week. I want to remind you again, you can go to our conventionofstates.com news blog to see all the latest news and research past stories. But Oklahoma, this past Tuesday, the Senate passed, and Oklahoma becomes the seventh state to sign on to our application to ask Congress to call a convention for proposing amendments for our specific application. So we continue to move along. I want to... uh, encourage you to understand about the the state of Maine, the GOP convention there. They added the Convention of States plank to their platform. Uh, We have seen this in a couple of states now. happened in Colorado. I'll circle back to that in a minute and and add some more information on what's going on in the different states, particularly in the Republican parties. This upcoming week, we have Louisiana. Uh, They've got committee hearings, we've heard, in both the House and the Senate on the same day. So uh, be in prayer. Uh, Give some encouragement to our folks, our our supporters out in Louisiana, as they are going to have to be in two places at once at their capital, which is quite unusual uh, to be running a double track at the same time. 
So I, I know that they would appreciate any encouragement that you can send away to the folks in Louisiana. And a final note, which isn't on our slide that's on uh, the Blog Talk radio uh, post at the moment, but I will put it back up there. Yesterday, April 29th, on Levin TV, both Mark Meckler and Mike Ferris were on a full-hour discussion on the Convention of States project. And this is where I wanted to circle back a little bit to the, uh, to the Republican Party planks because a question got asked very late during that interview. What about the Republican Party? Uh, are they going to, as a party, get on board? And it was mentioned, uh, I believe Mark mentioned, Mark Meckler mentioned that Maine had added that plank, which, which we had already heard of. Colorado has added that plank. Here in Texas, we were actually the first to do that two years ago in 2014, in which we pushed for a plank on the platform and got it added during the platform committee and then during the uh, floor debate and the acceptance of our platform. Uh, we have our, our uh, Republican Party convention again in just in a, in a week and a half, starting here in Texas. We are again pushing uh, for the plank to be reinforced. Of course, we have Governor Abbott on board, we expect his keynote address to actually be a, uh, discussing the Convention of States and the Texas plan, which are uh, intermingled and, and entwined together. Uh, that is his top legislative priority here in Texas for our coming session in 2016. But what that adds to is, is when you see Colorado and Maine and Texas has already done this in the GOP, those type of resolutions bubble up from the states and go to the national effort. And we would like to see a national push for support for an Article 5 amending convention put on the Republican Party national uh, platform. And that is a push that we can have. The more states which get on board, uh, the more opportunity, of course, we're going to have for that to happen. And uh, let me see if my caller is still on hold. I'm going to check real quick before we jump to our presentation, see if this is just someone listening or someone with a question. Let's see if I can bring them up. Caller, you are on this Provident article. Your last number and your phone number ends in 5712. Who am I speaking with? It may be somebody who just wants to listen. Put them back on hold, and we will head to our presentation, which is really a, uh, a condensed version of a presentation I gave the very second episode, which is the journey of Article 5 through the Constitutional Convention back in 1787. Uh, one of the things we learn, again, as we are preparing for our platform committee here in Texas, uh, we learn that we need to condense some of our points, but there's also some foundational issues that we want to be able to discuss. And one of these is just was this added at the last moment in the Constitutional Convention, or was this something which the uh, framers had discussed multiple times and actually had an idea of where they wanted to go and how the Constitution was amended? So I'm going to walk you through as briefly as possible, what occurred during the convention. The, the convention convened in 1787, started around the middle of May, but they were still waiting for delegations to come in, so really didn't get underway until uh, the very end of May. And on May 29th, uh, again, these conventions, folks wonder, think it's going to be a you know chaos. Conventions, there is great planning ahead of time. There's planning on what rules will be presented to be voted on, and there's also a plan of what is it we're actually going to discuss? That is actually what these applications we have for an Article 5 convention are doing. Here's what you can discuss. Likewise, for the Constitutional Convention, there were several plans that were ready to be proposed, 
And the first one was the Virginia Plan. On May 29th, it was presented at the convention by Virginia's governor, Edmund Randolph, who was one of the delegates or commissioners. And the plan included a reference to an amending provision, and, and I'll quote what that provision was. Quote, provision ought to be made for the amendment of the Articles of Union whensoever it shall seem necessary, and that the assent of the national legislature ought not to be required thereto, unquote. So the very first presentation of amending the Constitution, the authority to do that should be made in that the national legislature should not be required to do that. Now, your only other options at that point would be the state legislatures or some means for the people to make redress on the structure of the federal government. On June 5th was the first time that this amending provision actually got read. There was some discussion regarding whether an amending provision was necessary at all, uh, but there was no mention at all of granting the national legislature, what we now know to be Congress, any role whatsoever. Fast forward the next week, June 11th. This time the provision is discussed, and some questions come up about the propriety of making the consent of the national legislature unnecessary. Remember, that's their starting point. National legislature should not be should not be uh, needed to amend the Constitution. And Colonel George Mason, we've heard his name before when we discuss Article 5, and we'll hear it again in this journey of Article 5. He urged the necessity of a provision for amending, and he explained that the new plan would certainly be defective. So, so people say that you know the Constitution is fine the way it is. The framers understood they could not possibly know everything or plan for every contingency, and experience would prove that there would be needs to change the structure, to tweak it, and to rein in the government, and that's really where he was headed with this. There would be a need to provide a process to amend it in an orderly manner rather than, and here I'm going to get to the quote, to trust to chance and violence. It would be improper to require the consent of the national legislature because they may abuse their power and refuse their consent on that very account, unquote. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mr. Randolph concurred, and consideration of the words, quote, without requiring the consent of the national legislature, unquote, was postponed. So that discussion about whether the national legislature should be consented, uh, they are going to go ahead and push aside that discussion for later. Fast forward, we go to slide three if you're following along. August 6th, the Committee of Detail presented their draft of the Constitution, which included what is called, which is noted at that time as Article 19, which read in full, quote, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the states in the Union for an amendment for this con of this Constitution, the legislature of the United States shall call a convention for that purpose, unquote. That's the full text of the article at that time for amending the Constitution. Only the legislatures of the states are involved. Only a convention can propose amendments. The national legislature not involved at any point. So no mention of their, their ability to propose amendments. And also, there's no mechanism for ratification at this point. So it's a very, very uh, thin amendment or, or article on how to amend the Constitution. And obviously, there are some things that were going to need to be modified to give that a little more strength and a, a little more uh, structural uh, integrity so that it would not be so easy to amend the Constitution. But the high point here is national legislature not involved in this 
a proposed article. Fast forward to August 30th. Governor Morris, he's not a governor, and his actual first name is Governor. Governor Morris suggests that the legislature should be left at liberty to call a convention whenever they please. Now, that seems rather strange. There's no threshold whatsoever, or perhaps the threshold of just a majority. Madison's notes on this simply state that Article 19 was agreed to unanimously. So there was uh, no real discussion on it except for this. And there's no mention of an amendment based on Governor Morris's suggestion. But we just wanted to add that in the history and the flow of Article 5 at the convention, there you have it. It was discussed again on August 30th. <coughs> well, as the convention is winding to a close, we get to September 10th. And again, this language from August 6th on this Article 19 is considered, and there's two objections raised and some questions. The first is from Alexander Hamilton, and he suggests that Congress – as well as the states, now they're calling it Congress, not the national legislature, Congress should have the power to propose amendments as well because they would be in a position to perceive defects. And that's actually a fairly reasonable uh, suggestion to make. They would be exercising the Constitution. They would see some things uh, more readily than perhaps the states would or the people in the states would see. So it's a reasonable expectation. We go on to slide six. The next objection was from Elbridge Jerry, and that's he's the man for whom gerrymandering is named. Uh, Elbridge Jerry, he objected to amending the Constitution without final approval by the state. So again, going back, remember that very thin article, Article 19. All there was was a convention. The convention would actually not just propose, but the amendments that came out of the convention would be the would be uh, included in the in the Constitution. Would amend it. And Elbridge Jerry was saying, that's a little bit too easy. We need some type of ratification process. Now at this point, and uh, opponents will bring this up from September 10th and from September 15th, Madison makes some remarks. And he, he quote, remarked on the vagueness of the terms, call a convention for the purpose, as sufficient reasoning for reconsidering the article. How is a convention to be formed? By what rule decide? What force of its acts? Unquote. We'll discuss a little bit about Madison here in a minute. Uh, uh, continuing on September 10th, Hamilton's and Jerry's objections were both met, and Madison offered new language as a substitute for that Article 19. Quote, the legislature of the U.S., whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem necessary, or on the application of two-thirds of the legislatures of the several states, shall propose amendments to this Constitution – which shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part thereof, when the same shall have been ratified by three-fourths at least of the legislatures of the several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as one or the other mode of the ratification may be proposed by the legislature of the U.S., unquote. So that's the September 10th version of what became Article 5. Notice how it is written that is the legislature that can propose amendments. There's two Two mechanisms to trigger that that uh, proposed process, one that the legislatures themselves can deem it necessary, and the other is that legislatures of the several states can deem it necessary. But the way this is written, it is only the legislature of the United States that can propose amendments. That was not the intent, and in fact, as we go back through what Hamilton stated and we go to slide eight, this removing of the call for an amending convention was not included in Hamilton's original objection, and here is what, he, what Hamilton stated on September 10th, quote, the national legislature will be the first 
to perceive and will be most sensible to the necessity of amendments and ought also to be empowered whenever two-thirds of each branch should concur to call a convention. So Hamilton very clearly was not stating remove the state legislatures and their, the calling of a convention from the process. He was simply calling to add the national legislature, the Congress, to have the same authority, a concurrent authority, a parallel authority when you look at them as, as two different tracks of how you can actually get an amendment proposed to the Constitution. So fast forward uh, to September 15th. We're just a couple of days away from the, the end of the convention. This is really the final day of a full review of the uh, draft of the Constitution. Article 19 has now been renamed Article 5, and it's considered as agreed to on September 10th. Madison had made some very, very minor uh, structural English textual tweaks on the 12th. But, of course, as read at that point, what, what we read on the, on the previous slide, Colonel George Mason, we mentioned him before from back in June, quote, thought the plan of amending the Constitution exceptional and dangerous. As the proposing of amendments is in both the modes to depend, in the first immediately and in the second ultimately on Congress, no amendments of the proper kind would ever be obtained by the people if the government should become oppressive as he verily believed would be the case, unquote. So what's Mason's objection? And I think there's twofold here. One is, uh, real simple, just the objection of you, you removed our primary thought of having the state legislatures do this. You remove that, and we don't know why you remove that. That can happen when you have multiple people working on proposals, drafts, and something which everyone had agreed to suddenly gets removed, and when it's brought up again, you say, hey, where'd that go? But really he's focusing on now you've given the authority to propose amendments solely to the national legislature, to Congress, and that is exceptional and it is dangerous. Now, I have been in hearing com and committee meetings where legislator legislators have actually used that word, this is dangerous. We have opponents who say it is dangerous how Article 5, our, use, our intended use of Article 5 through the state legislatures is dangerous. George Mason thought exactly the opposite. Leaving it to Congress alone is what's dangerous because why? No amendments would be of the proper kind would ever be obtained. Congress will not do that if they become oppressive and if the government becomes oppressive. He verily believed would be the case. And understand where they're focusing on amendments of the proper kind. We're not talking about amending uh, things which are, are piecemeal, right? Making an amendment to repeal, uh, let's use the same-sex marriage ruling. Let's, let's amend the Constitution to repeal that. We're looking at, and what they were looking at is, there's going to need to be structural constraints put in on the federal government through the amending process. That's what our application is looking to do. That's what George Mason and the framers were looking to do. Let's go a little further in that day. Governor Morris and Eldridge Jerry moved, quote, moved to amend the articles so as to require a convention on application of two-thirds of the states. And I'll jump down to the bottom of the slide that that motion was agreed to NEMCON, and that's the Latin term for not just unanimous, but unanimous and, and without dissent. There was no one dissenting. There was no discussion on that to dissent from it. Now, Madison includes in his notes, also in the slide 10, he, he did not see, and I'm going to quote it, Madison did not see why Congress 
would not be as much bound to propose amendments applied by for by two-thirds of the states as to call a convention on the like application, unquote. But, end quote, he saw no objection, however, against providing for a convention for the purpose of amendments, except only that difficulties might arise as to the form, the quorum, etc., which in constitutional regulations ought to be as much as possible avoided, unquote. So Madison, again, uh, questioning the need for having a convention, <coughs> his argument here is Congress, obviously, if they are uh, asked by two-thirds of the state legislatures to amend the – to propose amendments, why wouldn't they do that? Why do they need to call a convention? And he has concerns about how the convention would be formed. I'm going to give some informed speculation here on Madison. He was the youngest of the framers. He did not have experience in conventions like the other framers did. We've covered that in previous podcasts. The only convention he had ever been to was the previous year's 1786 Annapolis Convention, which truly didn't convene because they'd never had a quorum of the states necessary to convene that. It was the eventual uh, catalyst for having the Constitutional Convention. So his concerns, I believe, this is my personal speculation, his concerns are because he was not familiar with the convention process. As we've discussed before, many of the framers had experience with multiple multi-state conventions, and they understood this is why Article 5 is so short. There is not a need to explain how that works, how a convention works. All these men were familiar with how a convention worked, and they were not concerned with that. The very last slide is our attribution again. Uh, we took all these notes from the Journal of the Debates. There's some great uh, – also some great analysis of this done by that report to Attorney General Edwin Meese from, from September of 1987 on Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. So I hope that's helpful as we went through that journey of Article 5, and I see that uh, the person we had who was a caller has, has dropped off, probably got bored by what I was stating. Uh, again, I hope that, that learning – where Article 5 came from, uh, a lot of times in our testimony we give, we jump right to the end, and, and, we, and we give the impression that this mode of the state legislators being able to propose a, or apply for a convention where amendments would be proposed, that that was added at the last moment, and it truly wasn't. The intent of the entire convention at the Constitutional Convention from May 29th through September 10th, it is clear that the intent was for the state legislatures to have that authority. And we have a caller. I'm going to go ahead and bring this person up. Caller, last and four of your phone number, 9426. You are on the air. Who am I speaking with? Good morning, Paul. It's Cliff Wilkin from the Convention Stage. Hey, Cliff. How are you? Great, great. Just um, really enjoying your uh, podcast today or your, your broadcast today. Yeah, I don't know what to call it when it's when it's live. I guess it's a broadcast, but it's still on on uh, on Blog Talk Radio and, and becomes a podcast after that. But hey, I appreciate you calling in. What's what's up, my friend? Oh, just uh, just wanted to to thank you and and uh, be happy to discuss any any uh, any type of uh, COS activities if if you had interest or or. Uh, just, well, uh, well, yeah, I you. do because you you are. Uh, I, I know that you are kind of all over the place. So tell me what's going on in your different uh, endeavors where I, I see you on Facebook, kind of all over the place. Right, right. I got to meet you 
down in Dallas uh, back in what was that early February. That was a a great event, and uh, since then I've been back into New York State. Um, I did give up my uh, New York State co-directorship, and I've I've become a regional grassroots coordinator, which I think suits my my interest um, really really nicely. So my main goal is just to bring more people in through the petition signature process and more volunteers in through the uh, through the uh, volunteer uh, admission process. So um, I'm not quite as skilled as you in the in the legislative process. So you know it takes takes all kinds, I guess, to to keep the organization flowing. That that is most definite, and that's what we have found is that there are people with skill sets. Uh, all kinds of skill sets, and we need them all because it is there is no way to be able to handle all the different facets of this. And the grassroots support is a key support uh, and mechanism for this process. It's really the fundamental uh, piece of building this up, and and that's why we are being so effective as opposed to any of the other Article Five movements out there. Which uh, anytime we go to a hearing anywhere. Um, and I know here in Texas it was, you know, you have the, the experts who kind of fly around to each state and give testimony, maybe one or two other people at the most. <laughs> but for us, we had 40 people show up, you know, here in Texas to testify on behalf of Convention of States. And that was, um, you know, two years ago. And we've, we've tripled in size since then. So I, I can imagine what's going to happen at the legislature uh, this coming session for us. And I think we're seeing that around the states as well, uh, the other states. And, and I feel it's more than just, uh, you know, a single focus as far as the convention. I think uh, I've even heard Mark Meckler bring it up that, you know, we're creating a whole whole uh, community of, of educated, knowledgeable, and, uh, um, you know, assertive uh, people to to uh, help, you know, restore the liberties that, that we once had. So, uh, you know, I don't uh, – and, and, yeah, uh, and here in Texas, we are beginning to we are beginning to disseminate that to our supporters as well. Is that you, you've signed on to this, and this is an issue which is obviously extremely important. We're getting them involved in some of the process, and that you know what I always I tell people this: in Texas, we have 181 state legislators down in Austin. You know, 150 reps, 31 senators. Every one of them belongs to a political party. <laughs> All 181. At some point, you've got to get involved in party politics to some degree to have some measure of effectiveness. Just pounding on a door as an outsider uh, only gets you so far. So we were beginning to get people churned into the process to help affect change in the party themselves. You know, We, we are a, a project under the umbrella of Citizens for Self-Governance, and that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to become people who learn how to self-govern not just with Article 5, but after after Article 5, what are we going to do next? Uh, uh, liberty will still need to be defended. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was very nice. Yesterday, I got to uh, email my mom, who lives in uh, Louisiana. Um, the senator, state senator's Louisiana uh, contact information, and and uh, um, she's agreed to to contact each of them and and ask them to co-sponsor or sponsor the the COS Louisiana resolution. Yeah, and it sounds like they're going to have 
activity there this week on on both sides of of the uh, legislature. So it doesn't really Which, matter where you know where you are in the country. You can you can help out in your state. You can help out across the country. It's when I when I recruit uh, new uh, petition signers and volunteers, I'm 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 recruiting all over the country, and and it's I'm not I'm not limited to one area, and and I've built friendships and and uh, social media friendships, you know, all across the country. It's it's very, you know, it's very encouraging, and and uh, um, enjoy the in the process. Definitely encourage anyone else to to get involved. All right, my friend. Hey, I appreciate you calling in. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up because I've got like a minute left, and I do want to give Madison Rising their due as I play them out of here. But we'll talk to you late, later again. Thanks, Cliff, for calling in. Thank you, Paul. God bless Texas. All right. Yeah, thanks. All right, we are gonna go ahead and play out with Madison Rising. We'll talk to you next week. And thank you once again for listening to that Provident article. We appreciate your listening. My name is Paul Hodson. I'm the co-director here in Texas, the Convention of States Project. We want to thank Madison Rising for all the music that they provide here, our intro and outro. Go out to their website, www.madisonrising.com. We invite you also to go out to our Convention of States website, www.conventionofstates.com. We want to thank the Convention of States Project, Mark Meckler, founder and president, Citizens for Self-Governance, Michael Ferris, head of the Convention of States Project, and a big, big thank you to our entire Texas Convention of States team. And we invite you to join us again next week for another episode of That Provident Article.